0: Guys. let me um,
1: I know you're eating let me um, go ahead and open us in prayer for our time of study and uh, then we'll jump in thanks Lord thanks for this time and we ask for your guidance we ask for your spirit to to teach us from your word help us to understand the things that you would have us understand give us the ability to to grasp things that are beyond our ability to grasp and uh, we pray for our conversation discussions that they would be, encouraging for all of us and then glorifying to you and we pray in jesus name amen Amen. all right as you guys continue to eat let's just throw this out there this is very informal so you can get up move around as you need to if you want to get up throw trash away get more get dessert get more drinks whatever you're welcome to do that um this is not bible answer time i i I do this disclaimer each time we do this i'm not i'm not trying to be the bible answer man because my answers aren't necessarily authoritative authoritative the word of God is authoritative and to the extent to which we accurately interpret it, it's authoritative. But I'm not trying to be the Bible answer man. So um, if I give a response and you disagree with that response, that is perfectly acceptable. What I'm going to always do is, is encourage us to say, well, where do we get that from the scripture or why do we disagree with one another on this? It's more important that we understand why we disagree with someone than just the fact that we disagree. If I just disagree with someone, but don't understand why I disagree, then I don't really understand. Right? And so, um, if I say something that we did last time, I said some things last time that some of y'all didn't agree with, and that's okay. And so my goal is, I'll just say to you, well, here's where I get that from. Here's why I think that. I'm, I'm basing it on this. What do you think? right? And so that's, that's how we'll approach that. Um, I've had several people email this time questions. So I want to be fair to them and I'm going to start with many of the questions that I've gotten. I have not, um, some of you guys I've answered individually on your questions, but some of you I haven't. So we'll get through um, as many as we can. We'll allow the discussion to go wherever it it goes from each of those questions, but we'll just kind of work our way through it and then if we get through those questions and there's more time, if some of you guys have stuff then we'll throw it out. Oh and, yes thanks, we are recording. Um, we did record last time, but I failed to tell you that ahead of time, and so I made a judgment call and edited some things out based on what was shared detail-wise, but um, I'm telling you now up front so that you can do the editing yourself, if, if at all possible, but of course if stuff comes up and we feel like we should edit it out, then we'll, we'll do that, but I just full disclosure so you're aware. All right, so let's, uh, let's open up to Mark chapter 9, verse 29, some of the first questions I've got deal with... This story we looked at two weeks
2: ago.
1: Um, and by the way, you're you're free to stop me, ask questions if something I'm saying doesn't make sense, or you want clarification. This is this is the setting to do that. It's what we're allowing for here. Would you
2: repeat
1: Mark nine Mark nine twenty nine? So this is the story we looked at two weeks ago, where. The, uh, the boy is, is mute and then the, the spirit that he has the demonic spirit he has throws him into seizures, convulsions, things like that the disciples can't cast it out and Jesus comes and Jesus casts it out and then we've got the disciples in Mark's gospel asking Jesus privately uh, let's see, verse 28 when he had entered the house his disciples asked him privately Why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. So the the disciples had already cast out demons prior to this point, so it it was unusual for them to not be able to cast this one out. So that's why they're asking the question. And we talked about Jesus saying this kind, which indicates there are kinds, classes, categories, types of demonic spirits. Um, and some of those types and classes we see in the scriptures, like here we see a mute and deaf spirit. Jesus addresses him right up here. He, he says in uh, verse uh, 25 right there, you mute and deaf spirit, right? So we've got that kind of spirit. The, the Luke chapter that we looked at and we'll look at here in a minute um, calls it a spirit of infirmity or a spirit of sickness or a disabling spirit. So there's two types, right? We've seen Paul use language like principalities, powers, and rulers, and authorities, and that's his way of describing spiritual beings, different classes of them. Um, So there's different types. And so apparently this type, whatever it was, could not be cast down except by prayer. And then the footnote down there, and all of your, your Bibles should say that. Let me scroll up. It'll say, in some manuscripts, add and fasting. And we talked about that briefly in the sermon as well. But the question is this, Mark 9 29, nothing is said about how Jesus prayed for this kind of spirit before he commanded it to come out. So do we know about that somewhere else? And that's, the answer to that is no. We don't know about that anywhere else. We don't know if he, what his prayer looked like or whatnot, and honestly I think the emphasis that Jesus is placing here is not so much on how you're praying for the spirit to come out, but he's connecting, This kind of only comes out by prayer, and he's connecting that to faith. And so I think the issue is the disciples were not walking in faith. Now, where do I get that? Because this is a synoptic gospel. mark Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they all share um, some of the same stories. And so if you were to go to the same story in Luke's gospel... I was hoping to have my laptop set up for this, but the demons are working on the technology again today. (laughs) So, it is Luke chapter nine. All right, so same story. Some of the details are a little bit different, but... um, I'm sorry, nope, it's Matthew's version. I led you astray. Go to Matthew chapter 17. Matthew chapter 17. Same story, less details than Mark, but verse 19. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, why could we not cast it out? And he said, because of your little faith. So same story, same account. Matthew captures a detail where Jesus says, because of your little faith. Mark captures the detail as he says, this kind of only comes out by prayer. I think what Jesus is getting at in Mark about prayer is a lack of faith. So the, their, what that means, maybe they weren't prayed up. I don't think it has to do so much with, did they pray the right kind of prayer? That really starts to get into uh, like spell casting, sorcery, enchantment, you know, but I say the right words. That's not, that's not really what the scriptures teach. I think he's getting at, you weren't prayed up, and you, lack, you were lacking faith because of that. And I make that connection based on those two two accounts. Do you see what I'm, what I'm doing there? Okay. Um, okay, that's all that question on this one. So before we move past it, any, <clears throat> any other thoughts on that?
3: Could it also be because Christ had just come down from the Mount of Transfiguration and he had spent time with Elijah and Moses, Moses getting prepared for the cross, that he was probably as close to God as yeah. The baptism. Yeah, and as, and and, as an option. and I
1: think I think it's safe to say Jesus was always prayed up. Right. You know, <laughs> I mean, I mean, but, but yes, I think I think that's what you're what you're alluding to. Certainly, as the the type of lifestyle that he led um, was also a model for us, right? So his dependence upon the Father is a model for us to be dependent upon the Father and the Spirit, right? So he, he did only what he could see the Father saying and doing, and then he did everything in the power of the Spirit. And that's the model for us as well. And so, yeah, he certainly was coming from a, can we say he had a mountaintop experience and he was <laughs> riding the high. All right. Um, similar question, but kind of broadens this out a little bit. As we've been looking at some of these accounts where demons are causing sickness, uh, I've been careful to say not all physical illness has a demonic element But some does and only God can disclose that and the question is does he tell the person who's actually afflicted or does he only tell others? So if there's a demon that's causing the sickness so we've seen in this account the boy was mute, he had seizures because there was a spirit. The account we'll look at here in a minute from Luke where the lady was crippled for 18 years and Jesus says she had a disabling spirit. Um, The question is okay so all sickness is not caused by demonic things, but some sicknesses are caused by demons. When it is caused by demons, does God tell the person or reveal to the person who's actually afflicted or only to others or both? So um, a lot of the questions I've been asked in the email emails this time around, they're going to be more... I'm going to have to say, well, the scriptures aren't necessarily clear on that. <laughs> but here's what I think based on and then a lot of them get into experience. And so just let me let me stop for a minute and just say, I don't have a lot of experience in this. Some of you have far more experience in this than I do. Um, so I'm hoping for more experience as the Lord allows. But I, I can't speak where I don't have the experience. And so I, I've listened to people who have experience. I can, I can tell you what, what I've heard them say. Maybe some of you have had some experiences where you can speak in. But sometimes the scriptures speak and they tell us something. But it doesn't mean that's the exhaustive statement on something. In other words, the scripture is telling us a lot about how demons act and what it looks like for a demon to be cast out. But that doesn't mean that's the only way it looks. In other words, there are experiences that people might have where they're explaining to you like the story I told this morning of a lady who got sick in her stomach because she's eating meat sacrificed to idols. You're not going to find that kind of experience in scripture. There's not a story that necessarily ties into a woman or a person getting sick by eating meat sacrificed <clears> to idols. So what do you do with that? Do you say, well, therefore, it can't be um, demonic or biblical because it's not in the Bible? No, you say, well, does it contradict anything in the Bible? No, it doesn't seem to contradict anything in the Bible. OK, so now I'm just going to run it through my grid. Could this happen? Well, yeah, could it, ha- it could happen. Right? And so then we have to to deal with it. So the Bible is never intending to speak exhaustively on every single matter. It tells us things, then we learn some things, and it it helps us to to have a grid to put things through. All right. So when it comes to does God tell the person who's afflicted or not, I don't know. Because here's here's what I look at the story in Mark 9 the dad knew the boy had a spirit. How did he know he had a spirit? We don't know. And we talked about how young this boy was. He was likely an elementary-aged kid, and he's had that spirit from the time he would have been an infant. Where did he get this spirit? We don't know. We're not told, so we're left to draw some conclusions. Um, but in this case, at least the dad comes to Jesus, and he does say that my son has a spirit. However, if you want to go ahead and go to Luke chapter 13, because we're going we're gonna to spend some time in that. Anyway... And we'll be starting in verse 10. In Luke 13, Luke, the narrator, tells us that the lady had a disabling spirit. That doesn't mean the lady That's Luke telling us after the fact that the lady had a disabling spirit. When Jesus interacts with the lady in verse 12, all he says to her, at least all that we have, is that, Woman, you are freed from your disability. Jesus initially says nothing to her about the spirit. It's not until Jesus gets down to verse 15 and is addressing the hypocrites that he says anything about her being bound by Satan. So in this case, I'd look at it and say, it does not seem like the lady who was crippled and was crippled by a spirit. It does not seem to me like she knew that the spirit was what was the cause. Yeah, Wes.
4: Don't we assume that because of that culture that most of the people believed it automatically that, that was a spirit? Well, good.
1: So there was definitely less of a dis- disconnection between the supernatural and the physical world. Yeah, so it is a safe assumption that they would jump to that certainly more quickly than we would, right? Um, can we assume, absolutely assume that she, she had that thought? I don't know. But they certainly lived in a world where sickness was, they were more inclined to think sickness was caused by something, right? So that's, that's a great point. That is a great point. But that's about all I can say. So then I would pull back and I'd say, God can do whatever He wants to do. It seems to be when we look at different accounts in Scripture of people who are demonized, it doesn't necessarily tell us whether they're aware of it or not. So some of them could be very much aware of it, and some of them could not. I can tell you the, the one or two experiences I've had. So one of the experiences I've had was back in 2013. The, the boy it was a, it was a young adult he knew he knew he was hearing multiple voices in his head and he had been he had not been diagnosed schizophrenic even though he had been to mental health this was in the military so he had been to mental health and, and they examined him and they decided even though he told them he was hearing voices they did not come away with the diagnosis of schizophrenia or multiple personality disorder I have no clue why there's money in that for them but for whatever reason they didn't So he's cleared by all the medical doctors, and he's still hearing voices. Even when I was talking to him, he went into almost like a trance-like state. He went inward, and he was mumbling. And I said, what's going on? And he says, they're talking to me. And I said, at that time, I said, what are they saying? And he said, they're telling me to hurt you. Oh, wow. Yeah. So in that case, I think he was aware. So I'm going off of experience at this point, right? I can't point to a scripture where it says that. I'm going off experience. I've I've recently, more recently, interacted with someone who, who thinks they have a demon, and I can say... Um, Or thinks they do, yeah. I can say that person thinks they've heard a voice, right? So in that case, they're aware. Plus, given some of our conversations and considering some of the stuff in that person's background, I think this person's aware that there's a likelihood there's some kind of demonization going on. But I don't know that we can assume everybody knows. And so if God's going to reveal it to someone, he can reveal it to whoever he wants, right? Right. Certainly, he can reveal if it's a a sickness. Certainly, he can reveal it to the person who's sick. Certainly, he can reveal it to someone else. I I can see it going any either way. You know, I I wish I could say more definitively, but it really starts to get into experience. So, has anybody had experience that would speak to this one? Um, I can tell you from the research I'm doing. From there's about three three people that I have learned to trust on this matter. There are people that I trust that study the scriptures well. They handle the scriptures well. Um, Two of them were trained at the same seminary I was trained at. Not that that necessarily means anything, but it just means I know what their training was. Um, And yet who are open to these kinds of things and who are um, in the middle of it. So I, I trust their experience a lot more than I would say some of the names I could throw out from TV or internet. And I can tell you based on listening to their experiences, um, a lot of the times the, the person who might be sick because of a demon is not aware, but someone else is is given um, the ability to see it by God. And so with that, go with me to 1 Corinthians 12, because I think what this gets into is one of the spiritual gifts that God gives to his church. Not to everybody, because not every believer in Christ has the same spiritual gifts. <clears throat> But we're all part of the same body. And so 1 Corinthians 12. uh, Verse 10. He's in the middle of his list of gifts and he says to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another. Here it is. The ability to distinguish between spirits. Sometimes called the gift of discernment. So the ability to see what's of God and what's not of God, or when listening to someone, the ability to discern whether that person is, is speaking from God or not from God. I think this gift might come into play here. Um, as people who might have that gift, the Lord might then enable them to be able to, to discern, is a sickness particularly caused by a demon or not? I think that comes into play. Thoughts? Does it sound off base? Okay. These are hard questions. Y'all gave me some really hard ones. I wish I could just say, oh, it's right here in this verse and that verse. All right, here's the next one. Does all mental illness have demonic involvement? And the answer is no. I think more mental illness than what we give credit for has demonic involvement. I say that because I think we overly depend upon our medical field, as good as it is. As Westerners, we, and as Westerners, we are influenced by the, the Enlightenment period, so I mention this as often as I can because it's good for us to know what our, our biases are. We're, we're influenced by the Enlightenment period, somewhere around the 1800s, late 1700s, early 1800s where the exaltation of human reason came into to, uh, light. It was more, more about what can I logically think through, how can I reason my way through this. This is when, by the way, all the great colleges, Princeton, Yale, Brown, they were all originally bastions of conservative theology. They were, they were seminaries. Charles Haddon, I'm not Charles Haddon, sorry. B.B. Warfield was a name that came out of Princeton Seminary, right? And they were, all the early preachers, these were the seminaries. Well, now these are the most liberal universities out there. And some of them, you can really see the slide in the Enlightenment period, in the 1700s, 1800s, when human reason was exalted, because what tripped them up was the Trinity. And you can't reason your way to understanding the Trinity, Therefore, the Trinity in their minds was not a biblical concept, and so they denied the Trinity and they started putting professors and deans of theology and presidents in the seat who denied the existence of the Trinity because it didn't match their their ability to reason, and those schools started to slide at that point. We're influenced by that same, same mentality, what can I think my way through, what can I understand or reason? And so, physical is good. Scientific method—what I can see, observe, hear—good. If I can't see, observe, taste, smell, or whatever, then it's probably not real. That's where we tend to default, or where we're, we mostly are influenced. And so, we're not going to necessarily jump to some kind of mental illness being demonic because we've got all kinds of medical categories um, that are produced by great minds based on good observation that we go to first, right? And it's easy and it's convenient for us to do that. So that's why I say I think we have more mental disabilities that probably have demonic influence than what we give credit for. But I still would not jump to that first. And so out of caution, because much damage has been done to people in the name of you have a demon, um, I would say, hey, let's get you checked out. Let's use the good grace that God has given us through the medical field, through mental health experts, through doctors, and let's rule some things out because there is a category for sin impacting all of our bodies and breaking us down. So therefore, my chemicals can certainly be off balance, producing perhaps something like a clinical depression or a bipolar or you know some of these disorders that might be, be related to chemicals. So I want to allow for that. So I want, I want the doctors to check that out and at least do some, some tests, right? But I'm still gonna to have to be discerning in that because a doctor is gonna to try to just describe it and explain it away um, in their categories. So I've still gotta be discerning. I've gotta take their information and I gotta to continue to put that to the Lord. The doctors don't have, those of you that are in the medical field, I, I, I very much respect you. So I am, I'm not, but I'm, I'm, a, I'm a preacher of the gospel. My primary role is to call all of us to that first and foremost. I lean on the medical field, I certainly do. But doctors are not the authority on things ultimately. God is. Mm-hmm. So even when a doctor gives me a diagnosis or their thoughts on something or their medical advice, I still have to run that through the grid of the Bible. I still have to put that before the Lord. And I still have to ask the Lord, what do you think about this? Because a doctor, recent example, someone who um, there's, there's a how do I want to put this? Let me, let me pull it back and speak more generally. Bipolar is a is a um, very common diagnosis, mood swings, manic and depressive, bipolar one, bipolar two, um, and it's it's a growing diagnosis. And I think, I'm not a medical expert, I think it is quickly becoming a catch-all diagnosis yep. mm-hmm. for a lot of things. And so the solution by most most medical professionals is the way to treat bipolar disorder is through medications to to bring the the chemicals in balance, right? But if you look at the characteristics of bipolar disorder, just as if you look at schizophrenia, multiple personality disorder, or go through the DSM, I have the four in my office. I think we're up to the five now, or are we at the six yet? Does anybody know? Diagnostic Statistic Manual? That
3: was a 5A.
1: That's right, you're doing five? Okay.
3: When I was in my master's program, I got a 5A, I think. okay. Okay. So I'm at a four. And they just upgraded a whole bunch of definitions. Oh, I bet they did. See, the
1: four that I have still has gender dysphoria in it. The five does not have gender dysphoria in it. That's now just called transgenderism. right? So the, 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 the characteristics of these mental disabilities, these mental disorders, you cannot deny that many of them share characteristics of demonization. What do we do with that? Do we say there's no longer demonic activity therefore we go purely medical do we say the medical field is totally bunk so everything's demonic or is there a place for both and and i think that's where we have to be discerning and go both and that's why i typically will say let's get you checked out go go to your doctor have them check these levels have them check those levels right and then let's pray through that as we get that if the doctors come back and they say everything looks normal to me then my flags are going up right I'm, i'm then i'm gonna start to dig more right but That's a long way, I have to nuance this one because of the the topic Um, and because there's been much damage done in the name of there's a demon. Uh, Another recent story, a couple years ago now, um, had had an individual who the symptoms were, they seemed like a psychotic break. And um, the question was, was it the, okay, this person's situation, there was several substances involved. Um, there was medical marijuana there was vaping there was some some um i'm going blank on the um the name of the drug that makes you balanced um, in your...
5: um we, we talked about i know what you're talking about it's drug. a common drug what are they called just, um, finance
1: right so yes what is the name yeah. of the drug in general the, we about meth?
5: um methylphenidate
1: it? no this is the generic name of the drug oh it's a What is this? it balances your serotonin levels and why am i going blank because it's afternoon time on sunday Anyway, it's the type of drug that gives you, if a person's... Depre- antidepressant!
0: Okay, oh so there was the
1: antidepressant. It was the Vivens, yes. But, yeah. um, and so there's known, there's known side effects to some of these drugs that included psychotic breaks. And there's, there's, you know, there's, there's other things that were going on, behavioral things. And so I'm looking at all this because I'm thrust in the middle of it, and I'm going, man, a lot of this stuff seems demonic. <sighs> yeah. But I can't deny that there's, there's at least documented cases of side effects due to the medication. What is it? So throughout this process, we, we had doctors involved, psychi- psychiatrists involved. Anyway, long story short, there's one point where um, I had this individual in the, in the vehicle with me. I had my phone recording under my leg and um, because I, I was going to pick this person up because they were found out in the middle of the city with no way to get back, and we were trying to get <clears> care for them. Uh, and her spouse, well, her husband, could not, um, could not pick her up because of um, – legal reasons so i went to get her and i have her in the car and i'm recording for protection for me for protection for her but anyway so i i said hey i got a question for you do you think do you think there's something demonic involved here and she goes i don't know do you i said i don't know but i'd kind of like to ask the lord about it she says okay let's ask the lord about it that's okay begins the most awkward five minutes of the drive i said lord in the name of jesus would you show us if there's something some kind of spirit afflicting her at this point would you would you show that to us and then we sat, and I said a few more things. Lord, in the name of Jesus, would you show us if there's some kind of spirit that, that we, we could see that that's going on? And then we sat, and then we just drove, and then she looked at me, and she says, you getting anything? And I, said, <laughs> <laughs> I said, Nope, are you? She said, Nope. I said, Okay. But I'm, not, I'm still not convinced. So, so this, is my, this is messy, right? So I'm just kind of going... I don't know, Lord. To this day I don't know. Because there's there could be some physical stuff, there could be overdose of medication. I think we did find out there there was some overdose of medication, so the side effects certainly could be coming into play. But then there's some other things I'm going, it just doesn't fit. Right? So not every mental disorder is demonic, no. But we have to have a category for it. And we can't rule that category out. If there's reasons for us to think that there's demonic influence, have they been involved in stuff? Did it start at a time of um, when they were involved in stuff. Was there was there anything going on in their life at that time that might help us to think that there might be something demonic there? Have doctors been a- unable to explain any of it, though time and time again they've gone? The woman who was bleeding and who went to Jesus and touched his hem, it tells us she had gone to doctors, and none of the doctors could do anything, and she kept going to the best doctors, and none of them could do anything. So that's when I start going, flags, 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 Angela. Um...
5: We also have to look at the fact that maybe, well, probably those drugs that are there to treat those symptoms of those people are an open door. Could be. To yeah. demonic presence.
1: Could be. Yeah.
2: Or affliction.
1: Yeah, could be. Yeah. By the way, July sermons we get into open doors, so we'll have a we'll have one of these at the end of July, and we'll we'll be able to jump into open doors a whole lot more. So, but, but yes, absolutely. Absolutely. All right, um, That I think I, I've exhausted the, what did I just do with my, oh, you guys, Sunday afternoons, listen, I'm, yeah, I'm not, I used to tell people I'm not responsible for what comes on, out of my mouth on Sunday afternoons, <laughs> or Monday mornings for that matter. Is the demonized person aware of the demonization? I think we've talked about that, Not. not in every case, it doesn't seem like, but certainly they could be. Um... Can any believer rebuke and cast away the Spirit if they are not in known sin, hence not on praying ground? So if a believer in Christ is walking well with the Lord, they're prayed up, they don't have any known sin, can any believer in Christ uh, rebuke the Spirit? So we are going to have an entire sermon on this, but I'm just going to show you Luke chapter 10. So go with me to Luke chapter 10. You'll get a preview, and this will let you start thinking about it beforehand. Luke chapter 10. By the way, while you're turning there, just on the mental disorder stuff, I have a, I have a bachelor's degree in biblical counseling, which means I spent most of my undergrad digging into the dsm four and other counseling books. So as a pastor, I tend to speak about those things with a little more detail than what most pastors speak about, and that's why, not because I'm trying to be presumptuous, but because that was my training on that level. And then I took some training on the master's level and then the Air Force chaplaincy gives me some training. Most pastors were not, we're not trained to get into mental disorders. We're not trained to really treat those. However, if and when the scriptures have um, something to say about them, we are more than equipped because the scripture is sufficient for all of that, right? so. I don't want to sound like I'm trying to completely disregard, undermine medical professionals. I think um, one of the things we see in the Proverbs is, by the way, the book of Proverbs, Solomon tells us, he took Proverbs from popular sayings from all the different nations around him, and he found the ones that he discerned were true, and he put them in there. Right, So we have, we have Proverbs that are from other nations, which means... We can take observations from unbelievers or even people who aren't trying to run it through a biblical grid. We can take observations from them, and those things can be beneficial and useful for us as we seek to discern what the Lord's doing in a certain situation. And that's how, that's how I view the medical field. I think that's how we as Christians should view the medical field is there, there's a person, say a doctor, they're doing study. They're digging into, they're making observations. Right? So to the best of their ability, they're making those observations. We're still responsible to test and weigh what they put before us, but we can, we can take observations from non-believing people and run them through the grid of the scriptures, and, and there can be fruit from that. Right? All right, Luke chapter 10. So Jesus selects 12 individuals, right? The, we call them the Disciples, capital D, or the Apostles later after Jesus rose from the dead, and he sends them out. He gives them authority to cast out demons and to heal the sick. This is not that story. This is a separate story where Jesus sends out 72 other individuals, not the disciples, not the apostles. So verse, chapter 10 verse one, after the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two into every town and place where he himself was about to go and he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way Behold, I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say peace to be to this house. And if a son of peace is not there, your peace will rest... If a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Here's our relevant part, verse eight. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you, heal the sick in it, and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable in a day for Sodom than for that town. And then we jump down to verse 17 where the 72 returned, So the 72 returned with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. These are not the apostles. These are not the 12. These are 72 others that Jesus said, go. And they're coming back and this was their experience. Even the demons are subject to us in their name, which means they're casting out demons. And then Jesus says, says to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority To tread on serpents and scorpions, and over the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your name is written in heaven. Um, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions. Serpents and scorpions are common depictions of demonic forces in the ancient Near Eastern world. He's not talking about literal serpents and scorpions. We have lots of literature inside the Bible and outside the Bible um, from this time and before That describes demonic forces or spiritual forces, usually chaotic type of forces, as serpents or scorpions or dragons. And so when Jesus says this, that's what he's picking up on. I've given you authority to tread on those types of things. So we take from that, I think, hey, it's not just for the apostles and and the, the disciples. There's 72 others. And if they were given this type of authority before Jesus died and rose from the dead, and Jesus, after he raises from the dead, he says, "All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go, baptizing. Uh, um, sorry, go make disciples of all nations. See Sunday afternoon, y'all. <laughs> Bap- uh, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you." here's a part of what Jesus has commanded his disciples. He told them to go, and he told them to go heal, and he told them to to go and, and cast out these demons. So that's why I think, in answer to that question, I think, yes, all believers in Christ have the authority of Christ. Therefore, any believer in Christ has the authority of Christ to cast out a demonic spirit. Now, the question also included, if they're prayed up. Absolutely. So... Um, because we don't take it lightly, right? And we don't do it in our own authority. And we don't do it in our own strength. The times that tri- that happened in the Bible, people got beat up by de- the people that were demonized. So, any thoughts on that? Oh, yes, Charles.
4: You know, in the story you just give me, I don't see anybody that was that was sick by just a disease or. You know, tripping over something or anything like that. Every everybody in here, or not that I can
1: see, was demonized. Um, possibly, you're right. It doesn't it doesn't necessarily make a distinction. There are other places where it does. But what you're picking up on is is that in many places. So here I've got. I just did a search for demon in the scriptures because I figured I'd pull this up at some point. And. And I would just go and look at every place that talks about demons in the scriptures. Let's just say the New Testament. And many of the times that you find them, it also includes sickness or they were healed. Those who were pressed by demons were healed. Healing and, and deliverance are going hand in hand in a lot of places. Like you can see this Mark 10 one here in the middle. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast down demons. So it always, it usually falls in a list along with healing. Um... A lot of times the people that we do get details about what their demonization looked like, we also get symptoms of their sickness, right? Like this Matthew 12, 22, there's a man, he was blind and he was mute, right? So he healed him, but he was a demon-oppressed man. So there you've got a linkage between deliverance and healing, right? Matthew 12, a demon-oppressed man who was blind and mute was brought to Jesus and he healed him. But the, the blind and muteness is connected to the yeah. demon oppression, but then Jesus is said to heal them. So they do oftentimes go hand in hand. I, I could keep going, but you're, you're picking up on, on what's there, absolutely. Is that, does that make sense? More often than not, they are closely linked. But again, I'm not going to automatically jump to everything's a demon because I'm not a demon hunter, right? And there's been a lot of people who have been abused in the name of everything's a demon. And so because of that, I want to be cautious. I want to be discerning but I don't wanna be naive, okay? All right? Um, When Jesus cast out, back in our Mark passage, um, back in Mark chapter nine, when Jesus (laughs) cast out the the spirit, he told the spirit never to come back. But um, in Matthew chapter 12, I believe it is, if you guys wanna make your way to Matthew chapter 12. So Jesus has been accused of casting out spirits by the power of Beelzebub. Beelzebub, Baal is the first part, uh, Zebub. So the idea, the way Beelzebub developed into Jesus' time, basically Beelzebub is Satan at this point. That's how it developed. But Beelzebub is believed to be the leader of the demons by the time Jesus is on the scene. That's not always been the case, but by the time Jesus got on the scene, it was common to talk about Beelzebub. It's a reference to Satan, and he's the the leader of all the demonic forces. So Jesus is casting out spirits. They're accusing him of doing it by the power of Satan, by the power of Beelzebub. So Jesus talks about a kingdom being divided. Uh, Starting in verse 25, knowing their thoughts, he said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste. No city or house divided against itself will stand. If Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. So then how will his kingdom stand? And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Because some of the Jewish uh, rabbis were considered exorcists. So he's saying, well, if I do it by the power of Satan, well, then who do yours do it by? Right? Um, Verse 27, and if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, who do your sons cast out? Therefore, they will be your judges. Verse 28, but if it is... By the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. By the way, notice how casting out of demons is, is usually linked to the, the kingdom of God. Okay. Verse 29, or how can someone enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? Satan's the strong man. Jesus is the one who binds the strong man. Then indeed he may plunder his house. Verse 30, whoever is not with me is against me and whoever does not gather with me scatters. Therefore, I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven, people, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. What's the blasphemy against the Spirit? It's attributing to uh, the, uh, the Holy Spirit, uh, or attributing to Satan, works of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is casting out s- evil spirits by the power of the Holy Spirit. They're giving credit to Satan, hence blasphemy of the Spirit. Um, verse 32, and whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. All right, so um, it might be in the Mark account. Oh, here it is. Jump down to verse 43. So then he's, he starts telling some of these, these parables, and he's talking about signs, and he talks about verse 43. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places, seeking rest, but finds none. Then it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house empty, swept, and put in order. Then it goes and brings with it seven other spirits more evil than itself and they enter and dwell there and the last state of that person is worse than the first so also will it be with this evil generation. So the question has to do with Jesus told that spirit to go out of that boy and never come back. Right? Um, So the question I want to get if the house is empty in the story we just read does it mean that it does not have the Holy Spirit? And then the question has to do with when does the spirits come back, I think, if I'm capturing it right. And so why could Jesus say to that child, let that spirit never come back, but then Jesus tells a parable here about spirits that get cast out, but then they can come back. Some of this gets into open doors, a person who is demonized, Jesus seems to be telling us once that spirit leaves, um, that spirit no longer has a right to be there unless we give it a right to be there. Okay, it's some of its legal terms. Right? If I give it a legal right to be there through an open door, given this, the devil a foothold, um, participating in occult practices or whatever, then those spirits might be there because of those open doors. So if I repent, I renounce those things, I've, I've been delivered uh, of the spirits that are enforcing any of that kind of stuff, then I'm clean. My house is swept clean. But if I go back to it, then what Jesus is warning us about is then that spirits we're going to come back with sevenfold. It's going to be stronger. The grip that it's going to have is going to be even stronger than it was before. Which then means it's also important that if, if we are going to be involved with delivering people from spirits and those spirits are there because of sin, that sin has to be dealt with. If we just try to cast down a spirit and that sin's not dealt with, either the spirit's not going anywhere because it has a right to be there because that person's giving it a right to be there by participating in the things it's participating in, or it gets cast out and seven more come back stronger. So if a person's unwilling to give up a sin that might be uh, the cause of the demonization, then they should not be delivered in that moment. But I'm not, I'm not really clear on the question, so if you wanna speak up, I'm trying to keep you guys anonymous, but feel free to speak up if you want to. Um, but why would Jesus pray that this in that child's case that it never come back? Why can't we just do that every time? I think in, in the child's case maybe there was something different because the child was young, but and and I don't know that the spirit was there because of anything the child did. I think that might come into play too. I'm gonna stop because I I bet you that raises stuff. No, no.
4: Maybe a generational. Type yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think that's I think that's one of the places we'd have to look at and say this could lend support for generational spirits. That child was an infant when he got the spirit. It, the The age, the age seems to be before the child would been able to dabble in anything. So it's either something that the the parents were doing in the household, pagan worship, worship of gods, perhaps, or perhaps something that got passed down to him because of something. His parents have done, or something. These are the place. That's it's a place like that in the scripture we would go to and say it could lend support to a generational spirit, something like that. The idea of that.
3: Maybe even age of age of accountability. Yeah, I I don't. Wasn't responsible for. Yeah,
1: I don't personally think the scriptures teach an age of accountability. I think the culture had one, Um, but certainly we could say the child wasn't old enough to necessarily um, have the moral development to be accountable for a lot of stuff, but. The reason I I push back on age of accountability, I know it's popular in Lutheran circles and Wesleyan circles. Um, I just don't necessarily see it in Scripture. I'm not not close to it. I just don't see it. And I think also if we do talk about age of accountability, we also need to keep in mind Adam's sin still affects everybody, regardless of your age. So even a baby born is born impacted by Adam's sin, which, which means they're guilty before God because of Adam's sin. Therefore, they are in need of what Christ has done.
2: I, in some of the biblical reading I've done, they talk about uh, when the Lord is angry with somebody for what they've done, their sin, and He has told nations and stuff, "I will punish you to mm-hmm. the fourth generation." Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this could be.
1: Yes, that's that. in that's in um, Deuteronomy.
2: Mm-hmm. I want to
1: say it's chapter four, um, and He does. Yes, but He will forgive the He will forgive the iniquity of His people. But yes, to those who are not he will punish their iniquity to the third and fourth generation. Yeah, absolutely.
5: I have been through a deliverance. Yes. And it was very interesting. Yep. But I had two demons that claimed that they were passed down to me from generations. Okay. And one was like four or five generations, mm-hmm. and one was nine.
1: Okay. Good. Mm-hmm. I'm not, not good that you had it. Good that you've been delivered. <laughs> right? yes. And thanks for sharing that. Yeah. Right? Um, Because this is one of those areas where the scriptures seem to suggest it, allude to it, but we don't have a lot of details. So that's where then experience comes into play and we have to say, well, what was your experience? What was someone else's experience? I've heard several stories of people's experiences, right? And so then we just run that through the grid. And so like I hear what you just said and I don't know any details, right? But I would run what you just said, I would run it through a grid and go, well, do I have a category for that? I do have a category for that, right? Um, and certainly if the demon manifested it and through the process of that deliverance, what am I gonna say against that, right? Praise God for that. So, um, and, I, and I'm speaking like that because I come from a background, I think many of you do too, we're just told this stuff doesn't happen anymore. So we don't look for it. And so like what you just described, w- you might've been having stuff going on in your life that was connected to that, that no one else could explain. But the deliverance then sets you free from some of those things, and had you not been delivered, you would have never been set free from those things. But if we don't believe those kind of things happen, then we're gonna be going to look for answers, or we're just gonna think, man, my luck is bad. But God may want to set us free from some of that. It's all a hand. Thank, thank you, Kayla. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. are yeah.
5: So about the, like, don't come back yes. and the empty, and then if you keep doing whatever, it comes back with more. How does, okay. So I'm trying to get clear in my head. If somebody came to Christ, and God knows he came to Christ, yeah. not just says that they came to Christ,
2: yeah.
5: and the Holy Spirit took up residence in them, yeah. can that person be demonized?
1: Yeah. Uh-huh. Good. We'll have a whole sermon on that, too, maybe okay, two of them.
5: Okay, then But my quick answer is yes. <laughs> really? And that because, because that that's where it gets really confusing to my mind in my extended family where there's a lot of um, this stuff going on. I want to know if they say I'm a Christian, this is when I came to Christ you heard their testimony but yet all this stuff keeps happening with them, Mm -hmm. then what's up?
1: Yeah, so let's plan to get into that one in depth at our next one But so that you can dig and study. I'm going to say yes, a Christian can be demonized the primary reason we don't, we're do not we told that they can't be is because they are indwelled by the Holy Spirit and where the Holy Spirit is, darkness can't be. So go and find that in scripture and then come back and bring that for our discussion because I think that's gonna be the challenge is that's not in scripture. It's a theological argument, it's not a biblical argument. Um, and then, then I would say, why does Paul then address believers and tell them to put on the armor of God to protect against the, the spiritual powers that we're against? Why does Paul say in Ephesians that um, we shouldn't give the devil a foothold. Why does Paul and the other writers address believers in Christ regarding spiritual warfare if it's not an issue for us? That's that's the kind of stuff we have to dig into and think about. So, Randy.
0: Because I
4: think we're, more, we're, we're under attack more.
1: Mm. Right. And it, it, but it, but he, they're assuming that we can be. Right. right? I'm saying. So, yeah. And as
0: soon as we mm-hmm. let down our guard and we stop learning, and we stop pursuing, yep. and we stop, and well, then we become more powerful. Yep,
1: yep, mm-hmm. absolutely. And, and, and you're absolutely right. We, we become more of a target, absolutely. All right, um, um, that's it for that one. Those are great questions, those are hard questions. They're more experience-based, and I wish, I personally I'm uncomfortable with experience-based, like many of you are. Because I want to be able to point to concrete scripture and say, this is what I stand on. And so as much as I can, that's what I'm trying to do. But then there's things are like, yeah, the scriptures doesn't necessarily address that explicitly. But, but what do we see happening over the course of history? And how does that fit in? And that's, it is a little more uncomfortable. It does require discernment. But we are given the minds and we're told to love God with all of our minds as well. All right, let's see. A question I got, if Satan is able to create such evil and destruction around the world, then would that make him omnipresent like God? Omnipresent means everywhere present. And I I would say no, um, no created being, and Satan is a created (coughs) being, no created being is omnipresent. So then how does Satan influence the world? And so I would say one, um, he's got several other spiritual beings helping them throughout throughout the, the whole world right so there's we know there's order to their 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 um, structure Paul gives us rankings powers principalities rulers there's, those are rankings so there's a hierarchy we know there's order there's structure and so where there's order and structure we can assume there's communication um, you know so there's there there's networking I mean all, all the the same way that a globalized, um, business would accomplish its mission across the world, right? There's, there's communication, there's networking, all that. All those kind of things happen. Um, it's not necessarily Satan himself doing all of the destruction. However, what Satan has worked to do, we're told that the whole world belongs to the power of the evil one. He has created a counterfeit, right? So the world, as John in his gospel often talks about it um, and in his letters, often talks about the world is the created world that God that God himself created but that is in rebellion against God right so it's this it's this world that includes people and culture that was created by God but that world and the, the, the people are in rebellion against God and so Satan is influencing that rebellion and therefore he's influencing the culture. So media and organizations and, and, and education systems and all these different things influence people all across the world, influence our thinking, influence our values and we can see that crystal clear going on right now. We can look at any of these topics like homosexuality, we can look at abortion, we can look at Um, Transgenderism. We can can look at all kinds of issues and say, this seems to be spread across the world, and it's being influenced by Satan. It's counterfeit. And so I I would say he doesn't have to be omnipresent. He's got plenty of agents working for him, and he has been at this for a long time, working through people, working through kingdoms, empires, leaders, influencing things. And I think that, that would be the way I would explain that one. Thoughts?
3: you say the yeah. kind of addresses Absolutely. that where he great. says that he's been moving to and fro across basically great earth. yes comes to god it shows he's moving everywhere mm-hmm. sure yes he's not omnipresent one place and sees everything yes
1: the the only caveat i'm going to put to that is if that's the satan that we know from the bible because there's some some discussion that this the satan in job is not the devil as we know him but just an accuser some kind of spiritual being but yes That that would be an example of that. Part of what I like to do in these sessions is just throw things out like that, that just get stuck in your (laughs) craw, and then you have to go dig in that a little bit because I I think that it creates some tension. You go, wait, I've never heard that before. Oh, I need to look into that, and that that's a good thing. If God created Satan and all the other supernatural beings, then why would God endow only one being, Satan, with that much power to cause so much distress around the entire earth? And I don't know, honestly. Satan is created by God. He was not created um, as an evil being. He was created as a a good being, a a good angel, um, likely one who was guarding the throne room of God. Um, He was very close to God, and he rebelled against God. Angels apparently had or might still have the ability to rebel against God, and he did. And for whatever reason, um, he is the strongest one that we know of. Perhaps it was because of the position that he was already in. We're told possibly that he was a cherub. That's uh, that's Ezekiel chapter 28. If it's talking about Satan, then it tells us that he was an anointed cherub, which the the category of cherub, which would be cherubim, um, they were guardian types of angels, throne room type of guardians. Like these were the type of angels that God would put in place to guard things. Like when Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden, the type of angel he put to guard the, the garden so they can't get back in, the cherub. The type of angels we see in the throne room of God oftentimes around the throne are cherubs, right? And so it seems to be a a powerful category of of spiritual beings, and maybe he's just the highest ranking one that rebelled or he was the first that rebelled. Um, There's something about leadership. Um, Satan's not a great example of leadership, but he does lead. Um, But there's a saying in leadership, sometimes it's about the first one who got there, not necessarily the one who's best, but the one who got there first. Does, does that make sense? Sometimes the leader is the person who got there first, not necessarily the most qualified. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and it could be that he's the first to have rebelled, and so therefore he influenced others that puts him in a position. Um, so I'm just, I'm spitballing here, you guys. You guys gave me hard ones, and so that's why I'm telling you I'm not the Bible answer, man. This is, this is what I'm going, I'm thinking through, and, and why I would base it like on Ezekiel 28 or things like that. Anybody else having any thoughts on that? Uh, yes, Charles. Free will. Um, how does that tie into our discussion tonight? Because that's a big can of worms. Oh, are you talking about Satan having free will?
4: No. It was the question was, why did Satan? How, okay. How did he? How did he leave heaven?
1: He had he had the ability to rebel. Yeah.
4: Just like we do.
1: Sure. Yes.
4: See, uh, God wants that because He wants you to come to Him freely and with love. Sure. Satan didn't, didn't
1: agree with that. Yeah, he, he wanted to exalt himself. Yeah, good. All right. Um, those are the questions, I believe, that I was... Oh, wait, no, 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 I've got one more. Hold on. This one... i got to pull it back up so I can read it properly. This one goes back to the um, Luke chapter 13... So go ahead and go back to the Luke chapter 13. Okay, so one of the things I've thrown out in the sermons, we've not necessarily seen it come up in the scriptures, but I wanted to introduce it, did last week, is the Greek word, um, here, let me show you. So I've pulled up here, I did a search, for the word demon, English word demon um, in the scriptures. And if I go through the New Testament, starting with Matthew, and I look at like uh, Matthew 8, 28 here. And when he came to the other side, the country of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed. English translates demon-possessed. It's two words, but it's only one Greek word. And the Greek word is daimonizomai daimon demon eatsumai makes it a verb it would be like if i would say um, theology is the noun and if i want to do theology i theologize that's not really even the thing but that's how i would make a, a a noun into a verb that's what's happening but our english translations choose to 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 use the word possess sometimes it'll use oppressed um like here in matthew 9.32, as they were going away, behold, a demon oppressed man. In English, it makes it look like different words. In Greek, it's the same word. It's daimonizomai, every time. Or it's going to say it was with a demon or has a demon. And so what I, what I put out in, in that, that message was, I think it's helpful for us to, to, to pull back from some of the language that has been introduced into this discussion, which is demon possession and demon oppression. We get the word possession from the King James Bible. Um, there were some English translations that were in place before the King James, and it did use possession. But King James, the 1611 translation, made it popular. And it introduced it into our English language as a thing. And then what we did is we built theologies around this English translation. And the theologies look like this, typically. A believer in Christ cannot be possessed because possession Im- implies ownership, and the person who's owned by the Spirit of God can't also be owned by a spirit. Or they might say, possession includes indwelling, and a person who's indwelled by the Spirit can't be indwelled by a demon. Again, find that in Scripture. That's a theological argument, but it's not biblical. But then we would say a believer in Christ can be oppressed, and the idea about oppression is it's outward, it's not inward, right? But what I want to say is, I think it's helpful for us to pull back from that language for a moment and consider that the Greek word behind both of those translations is the same thing, daimonizomai. And then we have to look at, well, what does daimonizomai, what does it describe? And it describes everything from the Gadarene demoniac who had thousands of demons in him, controlling him, to those who are mute and deaf, or um, those who, in this case, it was... This is the gathering demoniac. But it's a broad thing. Anybody who's impacted by a demon, if daimonizomai is used, it's a broad category. Um, So I think it's going to be helpful to speak in that way, demonized, because it, it, it opens us up for the discussion of can a believer be demonized? If we use possessed and oppressed, then we're trying to figure out is this person possessed and what does that mean and is this person oppressed and what does that mean and if we don't think believers can be one or the other then we're not going to be looking for it when it might be happening right so that's a brief brief thing to, to introduce and say the question has to do with the lady in in, um, in Luke 13 was she, was she possessed or oppressed so even though I'm not going to necessarily use that language I'm going to say this lady seemed to be influenced by a demon from the outside because it was a bent over type of thing and that seems to me to be different than the gathering demoniac who had a legion of demons within him right Um, but that's just purely observation and we don't know if this lady's a believer or not i'm hinted at she might be um because of verse um, 16 ought this woman a daughter of abraham If that phrase is referring to her spiritual status rather than just her physical status, then it would call her, she would be a believer. If it's just referring to her physical status, then we don't know. So if she's a believer, then if we believe believers cannot be impacted by demons, we have a problem here, right? That's why I think it's gonna be helpful. Those categories might be helpful to some extent, but personally, I'm gonna keep using demonized because I want to be able to talk about what the scriptures talk about without bringing some of the baggage that sometimes comes with those two words. Does that make sense? You can still use those words. I mean, you could whether I said or not, right? I don't have to give you permission. <laughs> but I'm just saying it's not wrong to use those words. I want you to know where those words have come from, how they've developed, and what they're currently looking like in our culture on this topic, and how I think it, it kind of biases us against being able to see some things clearly. Is that Good. That's all the questions I was pre-submitted. So we've got like 50 minutes for those of you who maybe didn't get them in in time or thought, oh, we'll just, what else do you want to talk about? What do you all want to dig into? Yeah, Charles.
4: I have a question. Is sin demonized or or is is sin a, a demon?
1: Um, can you maybe rephrase that, kind of flesh it out a little bit more for me so I better understand what you're asking? Is sin caused by a demon? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Could be. Right. So I would, I would say there's at least three categories that I can see in Scripture that could be what influences us for, to sin. Uh, one would be simply I'm a person in the line of Adam who has still the flesh. Even though I'm in Christ now, I still have the flesh. The flesh is my mind, my heart, my body, all still impacted by sin. Because I still have thoughts I shouldn't have, I have attitudes I shouldn't have, I say things I shouldn't say, and my body still gets sick and die. Those are all impacts of Adam's sin on the world. And so because of that, at times, my flesh has desires and I can choose to give into it or I can choose to walk by the Spirit and not give into it. When I choose to give into my flesh, let's say I'm angry and I lash out in anger, I'm operating in the flesh. And Paul tells us in Galatians 5, walk by the Spirit and you will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. And then he tells us what the fruit of the Spirit are, right? Some of my sin, probably a lot of my sin is just simply I'm I'm a man, I'm a person who's impacted by Adam. In Christ, I have the Spirit. Right? So I still cannot excuse my sin because I have the Spirit of God who makes me new and then who empowers me to walk and live in a way that is um, not in the flesh. So that's one source. The other source we're told about is the world. So the uh, 1 John 5:19, John says we belong to Christ, but the whole world belongs in the power of the evil one. So I can be influenced by the world. My values, my thinking, my um, passions can all be influenced by the world. The world includes governments the world includes education the world includes media and social media the world includes banking system the world includes interacting with people that are not believers in Christ the world includes all kinds of things and those things can influence me right so i might be a person who gets influenced by say the month of june being declared a certain type of pride month right <laughs> if i'm going to be influenced by the world then i'm going to buy into that right and if i buy into that and i participate in that then i participate in sin and the cause of that is me being influenced by the world that's the second category and then yeah I think demons can be a cause of sin right so if a person is being demonized afflicted by a demon if they already have open doors to to demons and so they're, they've got demons that are with them then yes those demons will wreak havoc they will encourage them to do things like for instance one of the people I interact with often or um what I see often, let me say it that way, what I see often is suicide, cutting, those kinds of things, not always, not always going to be demonic, but man, I think more often than we give credit, it is. I look at the gathering demoniac and one of the things that he was doing was cutting himself. So when I see someone who's cutting themselves, I'm gonna be asking those kinds of questions. Sure, there can be trauma, there can be coping, trying to deal with trauma and trying to, to numb some things, I'm gonna, I'm gonna dig into that kind of stuff, but I'm also gonna be keeping my, my antennae up for, is there anything that would have opened the door for some demonic activity? I'm gonna be looking for that. And then, I mean, take any, any kind of um, um, sensual types of sin, right, if we give into that kind of stuff, certainly that's demonic. Look, look at the way um, many of the other religions, just in, in that day, in the Bible times, how they worshiped. I mean, just, just the God Baal, for instance, one of the god, the god Baal, you could find this, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to speak in general terms, um, so read between the lines. The god Baal was the god of fertility, and so the way that they would worship the god Baal is they believed that the rain was a substance that came from Baal's body when Baal was excited, and so they would work to get Baal excited. And so there were certain women who were employed by the Baal temples who were available. And so then they would go up on the high place of the temple out in the open so that Baal could see it. And when Baal got excited, it would rain, and therefore your crops would grow. That's demonic. Right? So I would say, yeah, in those kind of cases, um, sin that. Did I go too far? Oh, I thought I was getting a look from the wife. Like, yeah. <laughs> she was waiting for it. So, I was speaking just in general terms, too. Um, so, yeah, I think sin can be caused by demons. Because, as we looked at today, idol worship is caused by demons. Right? Is that. Yeah, Mike. Justin, when. when oh, hold you on said just a second. I
5: thought I had, a, I had something else to ask that I can't
0: always tell.
1: Okay, just a moment. Let's we'll see what Mike's got first. It,
0: if I understand this correctly, it surprises me can enter into a life of sin and not be influenced by demons. Okay, good. Because I've always believed yeah. the demon caused that sin, yeah. or caused you to enter into that sin. Do, do I understand that correctly?
1: Yeah, I'm, I, I guess what I'm saying is not not every sin is directly caused by the demon, right? right? So it could be the, the flesh, the world, or the devil, which would include the demons, um, and not every time that we sin do we necessarily get demonized. So I'm saying there's, there's several different categories that I can find in Scripture um, that s- indicate this could be a cause of sin, this could be a cause of sin, or this could be a cause of sin. Now, pull it all back. Ultimately, where is sin first come from? Satan, right? He was the first one to rebel against God. Therefore, there is a sense in which we can say all sin is sourced in Satan. Right? So whether I sin in my flesh because of my flesh, ultimately I can trace that sin back to Satan because he deceived Eve, who deceived Adam, right? Or who led Adam the string. If I sin because of a demon, I can trace that back to Satan. Why? Because Satan was the first to rebel and then others followed. If I sin because the world's influencing me, I can ultimately trace that back to Satan. Why? Because he's the prince of this world, he's the God of this age. So in that sense, I would say it could all go back to that. What I would guard against, I, I've heard this in my family a lot, of, not my immediate family, my extended family a lot of times, where there's been sin, where it was the devil made me do it, <laughs> right? And what, that I think, what I think that implies is I sinned in this way because the devil made me do it and there's, there's a bit of a, so let me off the hook because I'm not responsible for that. And that's what I'm, I would want to guard against and say, no, it, it may not have been the devil directly. It could have been you giving into your flesh. Could have been influenced by the world. It could have been something demonic. Is that, mm-hmm. Liava?
5: If every believer has the authority, yeah, to cast out spirits, but yet discernment of spirits is a spiritual Good. gift. That seems to put some of us at a disadvantage.
1: Great. Great. Okay. So. Just because a person does not have the gift, the spiritual gift of discernment of spirits, does not mean God can't reveal that to a person. Okay? And it it doesn't mean we can't use our mind. So if I'm listening to someone and they're telling me, well, I've done this and I've done this and I've done this, and I'm going, man, that's like three possibilities of open doors. Like, let's say someone is, let's go extreme. Let's say someone says, I came out of, um, the occult. And I was part of the occult and we worshipped in the occult. Well, I'm going to have my antennae up, right? I don't necessarily need the Lord to, to give me discernment that there might be something there. If their behavior is in line with the occult, I can loving the Lord, the, my God, with my mind, I can draw some reasonable conclusions that might be demonic. I can't necessarily know with certainty unless the Lord gives that to me, but I can be praying against that. Right? And so... Uh, for instance, I might, I, might, I might say, hey, let's pray together and let's, let's ask the Lord about this. And I might say, Lord, if there's something here in the name of Christ, by the authority of Christ, would you show us? And then we wait and we see. Or if I've seen enough behavior, heard enough behavior, things that might indicate that, I might just go after it. And, I, and I might, it might look like this. Lord, in the name of Jesus, by the authority of Christ, I command whatever spirit is causing whatever behavior, I'm commanded to come out in the name of Jesus. And then I might do it again. Because it doesn't necessarily necessarily mean something's going to happen the first time, so I'm going to keep going after it, keep going after it, keep going after it, and I'm going to be watching the person. And I might check in with the person, and I've done this recently, by the way. And I might be checking with, did you did you notice anything? Did you did you did anything change while we we're praying? Pay attention to your physical stuff, and and so I'm going to be asking those kind of things and trying to discern through that, right? And if nothing happens. I might walk away and say, okay, let's just go back. We'll we'll meet up again next week. Let's see how things go, and let's both keep praying about this, right? So I don't necessarily need the gift of discernment to know, man, it would sure help. I pray for it all the time, more so now than ever, right? And I'm asking, Lord, would you give me this gift of discernment? Because it sure would be helpful to know if this person's issue is caused by this, because then we can just go after it, right? But if we don't know, then we're going, Lord, would you show us? Would you show us? And we're waiting, and we're praying for what it might be. But... I think we still have the authority, so where where behavior seems to indicate it, we go after it. That's my thinking on it. Phyllis?
3: Can someone who um, is a believer, they feel like they're prayed up, Mm. but yet they feel like they have a demon, can they pray that demon out on their
1: own or
2: do they need someone else?
1: If they are a believer or not a believer. If they are a believer. Okay, so that's a great question. There, There are differing views on this that I've found. There are some people that will say, you can do deliverance on yourself. And, and I've heard a few <coughs> stories of people who have had one or two occasions where they delivered themselves from a demon. One guy I heard a story, he was in, um, I believe it was another Asian country, like I said this morning. And when he got to that country, his team had gone ahead of him four or five days, and his team all got sick once they got there. He's like, well, what's going on with this, right? That maybe it's just travel. Well, then he gets there, and then he gets sick. And he's going, this is not good. We've got to do this, this, this revival or whatever it is they were doing. And he said, then the Lord revealed to him that this is demonic. So he says to, because they were in a country where there was all kinds of pagan deities, right? So he says to his team members, hey, this, I think this is demonic. Pray over me. Cast this demon out. Well, he, as he tells the story, the person says, well, Lord, we ask you. To, in the name of Jesus to cast this demon out and the guy goes no, no, no cast it out it authority right and the guy wasn't doing it I guess the guy was too timid and so then this guy goes in the name of Christ by authority of Christ I command whatever's causing the sickness get out and this spirit just came out of him he started coughing he started dry heaving and then he lined as he tells the story he lines up his team and he just starts praying over each one of them and each one of them started gagging and, and dry heaving and then they were all healed I have no reason to disbelieve this guy. Wow. There's an example though where this guy would say, "Hey, I don't typically recommend that a person does it, but it happened in that case." We don't have any biblical examples of a person casting out a demon. Um, if I didn't have anybody to pray for me, I'd certainly be going after it. <laughs> I think, I think, if this, if the demonization is there, and it's there because of a particular sin, I think a great place to start is confessing that sin renouncing it out loud, getting rid of anything that's associated with that sin, and starting there, right? So it's a great question. Uh, yeah, Nolene.
4: So today we're talking about uh, restaurants that have oh, yeah. <mumbles> uh, you know, the shrines and stuff mm-hmm. set up. Mm-hmm. On the heels of that, <laughs> do you see, is that like an open door to eat in those restaurants, or is it just the food that they have... Um,
5: before the shrine. Yeah. Just don't eat the sushi.
1: What? You'll be fine. <laughs> 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 Ume sushi is pretty decent.
5: Well, yeah, the other one. Really the what about the other one? <laughs> where there are shrines,
1: where there are idols, and there's offering up food, I think it becomes a conscience issue to an extent. I think you've got to decide. <laughs> one, we know, we know that idols are nothing. Idols are simply statues that represent some God. But what we learned this morning is behind those idols, when sacrifices are being made, they are being made to demons. Okay? So it becomes a conscience issue. Paul would tell the uh, the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 9 and 10, he gets into it. If you're going through the market and you buy meat, the meat's discounted. The reason it's discounted, it was a known thing. The reason it's discounted was because it's offered to idols. So therefore they're gonna discount that meat. A lot of people from certain social classes couldn't buy the higher-end meat, so the discounted meat was a good thing. And so Paul's helping them navigate that and his guidance to them is, if you're going through the market and you see the meat and it's on discount price and and you wanna buy it, buy it. Your conscience is clear because there's only one God. But if the person says to you, this meat has been sacrificed to idols, then you should abstain for the sake of conscience meaning not your conscience because you still know that that meets not not that idol's nothing there's only one true god but he says for the conscience of the other that's why i say it becomes a conscience issue issue at that point most of the times these places they have these i i look for them but they have these idols behind the counters they're not they're not necessarily visible or they're in the kitchen or something like that so i would say pray about it use discernment if you get sick, don't go back. <laughs> <laughs> it, it could be demons. It could be food poisoning. I don't, <laughs> I don't
2: know.
1: <laughs> I, don't, I, I think it really becomes a conscience issue. Um, because what we start to get into is Jesus told us to be in the world but not of the world. We cannot escape the world. We interact with non-believing people, people who worship other gods. We, we interact with them all the time. We do business with them all the time. Our, our, our command is not to to escape them, but we have to navigate how we interact with them in ways that align with God's standards and that help point them to the Lord. So that's, that's how I would navigate it. Um, if the donuts are good, maybe they're good because that demon's blessing them, and maybe I don't. I don't know. I mean, I, I really don't know. But it's conscience issues, what it boils down to, I think.
3: Well, wouldn't Paul's experience with the uh, the woman that was demon possessed
1: who had a divining spirit? He had a divining uh-huh.
3: spirit, and he cast out the demon, which upset mm-hmm. her owners. Right. Yes. Wouldn't that be a similar situation? As he messed with their to?
1: business. Is that what you're getting at?
3: Yeah, because his, his the spirit of God interfered or upset the the spirit in that woman. Yeah. And it created an issue when he cast it out.
1: Yes. Um. I'm going to pull that one up. We looked at it when we went through Acts back in 2017, but it is. There's a little bit of humor in it. Um, <clears throat> let me. If you know where it is, let me know. I'm going to. Oh,
3: 26, I think it is. Perfect.
1: Thank you. He does. Yes. He gets annoyed. That's what we're going to look at. <clears throat> um, well, not 26, so let's.
3: 16, oh, sixteen. I'm sorry. Sixteen. okay. Yeah, sixteen. Uh, sixteen.
1: Yeah, sixteen. Sixteen. Which, by the way, this is also a story that gives us another type of spirit that that is there. Sixteen. Sixteen. As I said.
3: Yes.
1: As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination. Pause. How do mediums and fortune tellers get their abilities? Spirit of divination. All right, so a slave girl who had a, if they're not conars, okay, a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. She followed Paul and us, this is Luke talking, crying out, these men are servants of the most high God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. So the spirit knows who they are and what they're doing. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out of her that very hour. And then it makes the owners very unhappy because they lose money. So your, your connection is, here's a demon that was, causing, that was benefiting these people in their business, and Paul did something about the demon. Is that what you're getting at?
3: Just the fact that the demon recognized Paul as being a follower of Christ, the apostle that he was, and the interaction of, he destroyed her business (laughs) because of removing the demon.
1: So should we go into some of these restaurants and (laughs) 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 use wisdom, ask the Lord about it?
3: You might he, not be welcome he, he back. Was being <laughs> he waited three days. I mean, he was very patient. <laughs> I mean, he was. That's um, well, That's of
1: kind of amazed. stupid on the demon's part. Was
5: he like a duck that you shoot at?
1: Was he just waiting to get shot down? Or maybe meaning to expose them so that they could get, they could get in, imprisoned, like they ended up being anyway. Um, I think it's worth pointing out too. Jesus does this. Paul does this. How he approaches it. Um, and I and I did skip a question that was asked to me. Um, they do speak directly to the spirit, the demon, not the person. Mm-hmm. Directly to the spirit. I command you to come out in the name of Christ. Right? Um, so that's that's our biblical example. If we're approaching that, it is biblically we have examples to show us we speak in the, in the name of Christ by his authority to the spirit. And
5: the will of the person...
1: Oh, yeah, and the will of the person. If the person wants that spirit to be there because they've given it legal right and they're unwilling to give up that sin, then that person's will is being exerted, right? Um, If not, if the person's not aware of it or if the person's repentant, then, then, then hopefully that demon's coming out, right? I don't think there's a category for a spirit that's demonizing a person and the person wants to be delivered, has confessed and repented any sin. There's people praying over them. I don't think there's a category for that spirit's just not coming out. Right? It may be the category is the people that are involved may be lacking faith or this particular kind may be you got to keep after it. right? It, it could be something more like that. But I don't, I don't see any category off the top of my head from the scriptures where there's a demon that was not cast out Right. So good. Six thirty, we got thirty minutes. What else? When you Go ahead, go ahead. Tyler. When go ahead, you
4: think go ahead. of addiction.
1: Oh God.
4: <coughs> good, good. Yes. Think of like drugs, yes. alcohol, gambling, whatever. Uh, you know, you see these people and I've got people in my life that have gone to the rehab, they've cleaned yep. up. But but basically, I think you already answered it. It could be any, any one of the three, couldn't
1: it be? It could be. But let me talk about the addiction, because I did get a last-minute question about that, and, and they wanted to know about that as well. So um, is addiction demonic? Um, and, and then this question is also about alcoholism being a form of idolatry. So an addiction could be, an addiction, by the way, usually an addiction is a secondary or tertiary type of sin meaning usually the addiction is a symptom of a deeper rooted sin. It's not usually, it can be, but it's not usually the primary sin. It can be, but usually alcoholism, drug abuse, porn, porn addictions, um, any food addictions, right? Usually those things are secondary, meaning there's another root sin, anger stress anxiety trauma Um, trauma not necessarily a sin on the person's part but sin done to the person Um, and then that then drives the addiction Uh, more often than not that's that's really what's going on with the addiction it's the symptom of something deeper rooted sometimes an addiction could be demonically influenced so we get into you won't find the drug one in in scripture necessarily but man, experience time and time again seems to, to support that that's another open door, right? So that drug abuse, uh, drug abuse, now I think we could make a case for some of the drugs that we know practices in biblical times of worshiping other gods included substances, right? That would get you heightened in your senses, right? So that's drugs, right? So I think we can certainly certainly support that. Um I'm going to open the first Enoch can of worms real quick (laughs) and show you something. First Enoch is not a book of the Bible. First Enoch does not carry the same level of authority as the 66 books of the Bible. What we do know about first Enoch is that it was widely accepted during Jesus' time, and it was widely known. And some of the things taught in Enoch was commonly believed by some of the biblical writers, so much that Peter and Jude both quoted from it. First, Enoch was written sometime between the Old Testament and the New Testament. It was not written by Enoch. It's called the pseudopigrapha, false author, false writing. It was written by someone else under the name of Enoch. Anyway, Enoch has some of the story of the sons of God back in Genesis 6, but that the Bible doesn't, doesn't talk about but first enoch talks about which would have been known and commonly held by the people in jesus's day this is what they would have likely believed about demons and what they did but this is not a book of the bible we read it like a history book and it helps us to understand the mindset of the people at that time and what was influencing them so first Enoch chapter six is straight out of straight out of scriptures. It came to pass when the children of men had multiplied that in those days were born unto them beautiful and comely daughters. This is just the translation of it. And the angels, the children of heaven, saw and lusted after them and said to one another, come, let us choose us wives from among the children of men and beget us children. Straight out of Genesis chapter six. First Enoch goes on and starts to name some of these sons of God. Simjaza is one of them. He seems to be the leader. Um, They were all in all, it tells us there was 200 of them. It tells us they came down to Mount Hermon. That's helpful because Mount Hermon plays a very significant role in biblical history. There's a lot of significant things that happened on Mount Hermon, one of them potentially being the Transfiguration. Because Jesus was in Caesarea Philippi, he went on a high mountain, Mount Hermon is a mountain in Caesarea Philippi. It very well could be that the place that Jesus was transfigured, where he met with Moses and Elijah, was the place where it was believed that these sons of God came down. Um, Let me see, let me see, let me see. We get to chapter 7, but that's history, and it's not Bible. They choose wives. Okay, they defile themselves with those wives, and then look at this, and they taught them charms and enchantments and the cutting of roots, and made them acquainted with plants. And they became pregnant, and they bear great giants whose height was 3,000 L's. I don't know what that is. I have to look it up. Who consumed all the acquisitions of men. And when men could no longer sustain them, the giants turned against them and devoured mankind. And they began to sin against birds, and beasts, and reptiles, and fish, and to devour one another's flesh, and drink the blood. And then the earth laid accusation against the lawless ones. Chapter 8, Azazel. Azazel is in the Bible by the way Leviticus chapter 16 on the day of atonement one goat uh, one, one of the sacrifices you would put the hand on the priest would and sacrifice all the sins of the people the other goat would be sent into the desert for Azazel some people just say oh that's just another name for the desert but here it shows up in First Enoch and we're told that that was one of the names of the demonic beings I don't know what to do with that but it's there Azazel taught men to make swords and knives and shields and breastplates, and made known to them the metals of the earth and the art of working them, and bracelets and ornaments, and the use of antimony. A, antenna, antimony. I didn't say that right. And the beautifying of the eyelids and of all kinds of costly stones and all coloring tinctures. And there arose much godlessness, and they committed fornication and they were led astray and became corrupt in all their ways. Simjaza taught enchantments and root cuttings. aramaros the resolving of enchantments. Do you hear the kind of thing? Oh, wait, let me go one more further. And Barakijal whatever, taught astrology. And Kokabel, the constellations. And they go on, the knowledge of the clouds and the signs of the earth, the signs of the sun. Do you hear that? These are the types of sins that humanity has been involved in ever since the fall. And Enoch is telling us this is all a result of the sons of God happening at Genesis 6. We can assume that the people, in, in fact we know from other writings, that the people in Jesus' day were very familiar with this and this was their common belief. Is it Bible? It's not Bible. But guess what also is not Bible? We typically say, that demons are fallen angels that rebelled against God with Satan, right? And that's the demons, that they're the fallen angels rebelling against God. We don't get that from scripture. We get that from tradition. We have places that talk about Satan rebellion, rebelling perhaps, and we have places that talk about spirits. We don't have a place that tells us these are the demons fallen angels. We don't have that in Scripture. That's been handed down to us through church tradition.
3: So it's a possibility that the sons of God are still demons working
1: today. What, what I would clarify just a little bit, the common belief at that time that you'll find in First Enoch, this is not Bible, it's tradition, but so is the, 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 the source of demons being fallen angels. That's tradition. The belief at Jesus's day was that the demons were the disembodied spirit of the slain Nephilim. If the Nephilim were the result of the sons of God and human wives having children together.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: That was a common belief in other literature at Jesus' time. You don't find that in the scripture. You find that in other writings at Jesus' time. You find that in 1 Enoch. You find that in books like um, the Song of, uh, not Song of Solomon, um, I think it's the Praise of Solomon or something like that. You find it in non-biblical books. But I want to point out it's also tradition that the demons are fallen angels rebelling against Satan. We don't find that in Scripture. It's 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 a feasible conclusion, but we just don't find that in Scripture. But it doesn't really matter, does it? Because we know there are spiritual beings that we call demons who are working in rebellion against God to afflict and oppose people so that they would also then rebel against God. And we know that Christ has authority over those spirit beings. Yeah,
4: Mike. Is there a biblical spot where it tells who Satan? How Satan?
1: Good. Only if Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28... Only if those two are talking about more than human people. Let's just look at that. Go to Isaiah 14. By the way, I would not preach this on a Sunday morning. This is discussion for the sake of thinking through biblical topics, times, mindsets, (coughs) worldviews. This is the place that I would have these kind of discussions because you can ask about them. I would not stand in a Pulpit, a place of authority, and say, "This is what it is, right?" So I want you to hear the distinction there. All right, I said Isaiah 14. Isaiah 14, it's a, um, it's an oracle about, excuse me, the destruction uh, of the king of Babylon. Uh, go to verse. Twelve, Yes, 12, thank you. So it's an oracle. There's a, there's going to be a destruction of the, the empire of Babylon and the king. Man, this chair is going to spit me out. It's, it's unscrewed. <laughs> um, How you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of the dawn. Possible reference to a spiritual being. Could also be just a reference to um, the king of Babylon, who they believed was divine. It could go either way. How you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. Above the stars of God, I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. Some of this sounds like it could be Satan, but it still could just be the the king of Babylon. I will ascend, verse 14, above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. Again, could be Satan, but also simply could be the king of Babylon making these claims. Because he believed he was divine. They all did. But you are brought down to Sheol, the place of the dead, to the far reaches of the pit. Those who see you will stare at you and ponder over you. Doesn't sound like Satan here. Is this the man, doesn't sound like Satan, who made the earth tremble, who shook kingdoms, who made the world like a desert and overthrew its cities, who did not let his prisoners go home? All the kings of the nations lie in glory, each in his own tomb. But you, a king, are cast out away from your grave like a loathed branch, clothed with the slain, those pierced by the sword who go down to the stones of the pit like a dead body trampled underfoot. You will not be joined with them in burial because you have destroyed your land, you have slain your people. Doesn't sound like Satan here. And on and on it goes. There are parts that sound more like it could be Satan, and there are parts where it's clearly not, it's a man. My personal view on Isaiah 14 is that it's not referencing Satan at all. It's referencing the king of Babylon, who was considered to be divine, just like the, the Pharaoh in Egypt was considered to be a god. The people considered him to be a god. They considered themselves to be a god. Therefore, these things would be appropriate in describing the destruction of a person who thinks they are a god. That being said, I think any sin like this at least gives us a picture of what Satan's sin could have looked like. Because this person, this king of Babylon, is following in those footsteps. I think that's, that's as far as I would push this. I would, I would stop short of saying that's a reference to Satan. But some people do go and say that's a reference to Satan. And there's plenty of great studied people who believe that. right? So that's why I say if that's a reference to Satan. Ezekiel 28 is similar. It's just talking about the king of Tyre, T-Y-R-E. And again, there's some parts that sound like it could be talking about a spiritual being like you were anointed cherub. So, there's, there's some of that stuff where you're going, that's not a man, right? So, all that to say, what was your question? <laughs> <laughs>
4: uh, is, is there biblical yeah. reference for the fall of Alan, Satan? Thank Satan you. Fell.
1: Those would be the places we go to. Um, possibly Luke 10, mm. like we looked at. Some people think Luke 10, where Jesus says, I saw Satan falling from heaven with the stars. Um, again, I don't think that's Satan's original rebellion. Satan had already fallen. I think what Jesus is describing is as these, these 72 come back, and they say, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And Jesus' response is, I tell you the truth, I saw Satan falling from heaven like the stars. He's describing the defeat of Satan that was taking place through them, casting out demons and the kingdom of God coming to bear, and then the defeat of Satan that was ultimately going to be taking place at the cross. Some people will go to Revelation 12. I preached on that briefly for Christmas Eve. And I said then that I don't think that's a reference to the original fall of Satan because I think that's describing Christmas night. Right? So those are places that people will go, but I don't think they're necessarily as ironclad. So I personally would say I don't think there's an explicit place where it describes to us the rebellion of Satan. I think there are places where we at the very least get glimpses of it, but I think we have to be honest about what's going on in those texts, that it may not be Satan. A lot of what we get handed down and a lot of what we believe on these kinds of things because there's, in some ways, there's a lot there. I think we're finding that out. There's a lot there in the scriptures about demons. But then there's also a lot that's not there. And a lot of what we believe has really just been handed down to us as tradition and it's not necessarily scripture. It's not necessarily bad tradition, but we have to be honest about where it comes from. It's tradition, not scripture. So that, by the way, when when you do get into um, discussions with people who know their Bible as well as you do or better, and they say, that's not in the Bible, show me where that's in the Bible, and then they show you that it's not in the Bible, and then your worldview gets crushed, because you thought it was in the Bible and it's not and now everything crumbles. This is why we talk about these kinds of things so that we know how to think through and around things when we have discussions with people who are smart and who know the Bible far better than us and point things out or to your kids when they hit college and a professor says to them, the Bible was written by men. What do you do with that? Your, your kids need to know and you need to know how to think through Yes, the Bible was written by men. How do we explain God's role in that process without denying that men are involved? And how do we explain and have room for what I have is an English translation. There are mistakes in my English translation because of the process of copying and stuff, but there were no mistakes in the originals. We don't have the originals. What Christianity claims is that the originals are inspired. We don't claim our English Bibles are inspired. We don't don't claim any translation or copy is inspired. When we talk about the Bible is without errors and inspired by God, we mean the original writings, the ones actually penned by the people writing it. That's important for us to know. We don't have the originals. We have copies of the originals. But that's why we talk about these kind of things, because we need to be able to, to think through it. Ten minutes. Yeah. <laughs> Go for it. Mike. Mike. Uh, sorry I'm on this. You don't have to apologize.
4: Road, but, uh, so does that mean that God calls Satan to rebel?
1: Woo! Time to go! We, we only have 10 minutes left. No. Yeah. Um, no, not in the way you just worded that. God did not cause Satan to sin. Satan rebelled on his own volition. So no, in the way you just worded that, God did not cause Satan to sin. Now, God is sovereign. He created Satan. God is omniscient. He knows all things, actual and potential. He knows everything that will happen, could happen, and the outcomes of those things if they did happen. He knew when he created Satan and Adam and Eve that they would rebel against God. And yet he created them anyway, and he created them with the ability to do so. He's sovereign in that. We cannot de- um, uh, detach him from that. But God and his sovereignty, the way it works, does not work in our minds. We, we, we've got two parallel lines that run through scripture that never intersect in our understanding. They're compatible, but they never intersect. God is sovereign, and humanity is responsible, or we can say, in, in this case, Satan was responsible. God is sovereign. He knew all of those things, and yet he created Satan, and Satan is still held responsible for his rebellion. They never intersect, just like with humanity. They never intersect. Humanity is held responsible before God. We make real meaningful choices and decisions, and yet God is sovereign. He knows all of them before they ever happen, and, and he, he's never surprised by them. Sometimes he flat-out causes them. Right? We see that throughout Scripture. So God did not cause Satan to sin we never see that in scripture but God created Satan with the ability to do so and God in his sovereignty knew he would do so and God's plan for the gospel is not plan B the gospel the the plan of Christ to come and die that was worked out in eternity past that was not worked out within time that was eternity past Yeah. go ahead keep So, so,
4: so sin man's sin was God's plan
1: in God's sovereignty, it had to be. Yes. But when you word it as did God cause it, that we don't necessarily see in Scripture. Because okay? we see God is sovereign and humanity is responsible for their sin. But if God is sovereign and if he is who he revealed himself to be, then he is not surprised by it. And if the gospel was not plan B but was an eternity past, agreed, agreed, on, agreed upon between the Trinity, the Father agreed to send a son, Why would the father need to do that? Yeah, who did that? There you go, okay.
2: But this
1: this is the kind of thing you have, two responses to this. One, you go, I can't handle this. I can't deal with this. I'm gonna retract and put my head back in the sand because I can't reconcile these two. God can't do that. I have to reconcile, them. I put my head in the sand. I don't want you to do that. I want you instead to say, I'm gonna wrestle with this. It's gonna create some tension. I will never be able to reconcile it in a way that I'm fully satisfied with in my mind, but where it leads me to is, oh, the wisdom of the depth and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his ways. That's where I end up because I can't figure it out and yet somehow all of this brings God glory. Yes, Chris. The way I've
0: always looked at that is that without that free will, both that Satan have, we have as man. Love doesn't exist. Okay, you, you have to have free will to have love. It's a you have to make a conscious choice, and a, you have to have that desire. Without it, we would just be mindless servants. God doesn't want that. He wants people in relationship. He wants people to love Him and to show Him. He, te- he allowed Satan to test Job just so Job could show Him that He loved Him, and that's the way I've always reconciled that. Yes. God created all this. He knew that that creation was going to rebel, both both, both angels <laughs> mm-hmm. and man. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But through that, through that rebellion, mm-hmm. He'd have this plan of salvation, and through that, mm-hmm. we would have this relationship of lo- love, and He would know it. And we'd have a chance to express it, show it, mm-hmm. over and over and over again, mm-hmm. yeah. just like He shows it to us. Sure. Except He does it perfectly; yeah. if we do it imperfectly. Yes. But without it, we could that wouldn't yeah. exist.
1: Yeah. Good. Yeah, we. It's great. That's good discussion. Uh, it's been a. I think the first one we did of this back in January, we got into that kind of stuff too, but we didn't record those because Jarrett wasn't here yet. No, this was January before you got here. Yeah, maybe it was. I don't remember. Anyway, it was good. Thank you guys. Any last like short ones? Because we really only have five minutes left. Is there such a thing? It could be. It, it depends. If not, well, yeah, Charles.
4: Uh, it's my understanding that we don't have sickness in heaven. I would agree. We just yeah. have it here on earth. Yes. Mm-hmm. So what causes that sickness? And sin. I know we yeah. said, said there's three things. Yeah, sin. Yeah. But yeah. I'm kind of with Mike. I, I believe Satan's behind
2: sickness. Mm-hmm.
1: Ultimately, like like mm-hmm. I explained how you source it back to him, Romans 5.12, um, sin, because one man sinned, sin entered... In, and death spread to all men because all sin Romans 5 12 the, the sin of Adam is what caused sin to enter into the human race and because of that all of the human race all of creation really has been impacted by sin God told Adam and Eve the day you eat of that fruit you shall surely die well they didn't physically die that's what Satan actually called in the question you won't surely die well they didn't die that day but death entered into the human race where it wasn't there before Which is why in Genesis 4, you see the first murder, Cain and Abel. Which is why in Genesis 5, you get this genealogy that seems to be out of nowhere. But what it's emphasizing is this person lived this many years, and then they died. And this person lived this many years, and then they died. Up to that point, nobody died. Right? So the impact of sin on the human race is death. uh, And sickness is a process of death. So in the new heavens and the new earth, which is where we are going to be with our bodies. Right? So heaven is the holding place. The new heavens and the new earth is the goal. That's where we're ultimately going. Heaven is the place I go now when I die. My body stays in the ground and my spirit goes to be with the Lord. The new heavens and the new earth is what I go into when the Lord resurrects my body, free from sin in a glorified state. My spirit's reunited with that body and I am no longer inhibited by sin. I have no more sickness, no more death. So, yes, it is a result of sin in the world. And the gospel... Part of the gospel is not just about saving us now. It's about redeeming us in whole and redeeming all of creation. All right. I'm going to close the doors now. Let me pray for us and then wrap up. Thank you, guys. Um, we'll try to do another one maybe end of July, early August, as we're getting toward the end of the series. But as always, I like this. I, I think many of you guys do. Um, This is the opportunity for for me to be able to answer some of the questions like you guys have, maybe to ask for clarification, maybe to address some things that I can't address in sermons, help you think deeper. You help me think deeper. Some of your questions this time sent me searching more than I I couldn't shoot from the the hip this time so much. I had to dig a little bit because I thought, "Ah, I don't really know. So um, that's good for me. It's good for you. And this is the body of Christ sharpening one another. So I enjoy it. Always, if you have questions, though, you can email them, and as I'm able, I'll get to those. So, Father, thank you for for this time. I pray that you would go behind us now as we've dug into your word. Let your spirit continue to give us understanding. And, again, if there's anything that's been said that is not accurate to your word, then close our ears to that. But the things that have been accurate, God, let your spirit help us to understand and let those things seep in and grow roots that become firmly planted. God stretch our minds and grow us in our understanding of who you are and how you've revealed yourself and the things that are going on in this world and and the things that are unseen and yet then remind us god of of how christ has has disarmed the rulers and the authorities by putting them to open shame by triumphing triumphing over them in christ that is part of the gospel, too, that these, these beings, these spirit beings, they do not have the victory. Satan does not have the victory, but in Christ we overcome because Christ has overcome. Remind us of these things, God. Provide us clarity and understanding where we need to have things. Provide us faith and stir up our faith where there might be fear or bring peace where there's anxiety. And God, I pray that you would then grow us as a body, as a local community of Houston Church, who are people who bring the kingdom of God to bear in the midst of darkness. Teach us how to do that. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, guys.